Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Before we get going, could you give a shout out of praise to the music team this morning? That was powerful. I could... I know some of you would be, would be good with me sitting down and us just playing music and singing praises to God for the rest of the... But I'm sorry, you're stuck with me for, Sean said, an hour and a half. Is that right? Yeah, as long as he's not here, an hour and a half. Yeah, no. But it is a pleasure and an honor to be with you this morning. We're in a series called Bring Your Own God. If you're visiting with us, the, the thought behind this is that our perceptions about God will determine a lot of things in our relationship with Him. And a lot of people have perceptions about Him that may be true, may be partially true, may not be true at all. And they may be missing out on a relationship that God wants to have with them just because of their perceptions and what they think about Him. And today, we're going to be looking at the disciplinarian God. But as we do that, I want you to keep a couple of principles in mind. I think these are very important. I shared them with the West Side a few weeks ago as we were going through the Connecting with God series. And I think it would be important to share them with you this morning as we get into this. A couple of principles in your life that I want you to be aware of is this. What you think about God, how you view Him, will shape your whole relationship with Him. What you think about Him will shape your whole relationship with Him. And then secondly, what you believe God thinks about you will determine how close you will grow toward Him. And I want you to think about that. It's not just about God. It's your relationships with each other. I mean, if you, if you were to, what I think about Donna, and it was great to have Donna up here worshiping. She's a trooper. Uh, but what Donna, if what I think Donna thinks about me, won't that make a difference on how close I think I'll grow to her? If I'd want to even grow close to her? If she thought I was an idiot, I probably won't spend a whole lot of time with her. But, but it's the same thing when it comes to God. What we think about God and what we think God thinks about us will affect our relationship. Think about it. God created you for closeness, for love, for friendship. And today, I just want to ask you, does that describe your relationship with Him? Are you experiencing that with Him? Or are you here today... And there may be some where you feel like, you know something, I don't think I'm ever going to measure up. And, and, and God is just up there waiting on me to mess up so he can discipline me for my wrongs. Many of you feel that God is simply a disciplinarian waiting to just whack you over the head when you mess up. Maybe something like this. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now. Okay, here we go, it's go time. Nothing. You better take off. Come on, come on, come on. You guys come on. don't stand Let's a do this. chance.
Yeah, that last guy in there, if you don't know him, that is uh, Sergio. He's the new uh, Hispanic pastor at, at East, so he's on staff. But maybe, now that was fun. It was fun to shoot that little video. It was fun to do it. But the meaning behind it, you may not feel that way toward God when it comes to Whack-A-Shark or Whack-A-Tony or Whack-A-Donna. Uh, it, it's not fun to be whacked over the head, is it? So this is a really serious subject. So I don't want to, usually I use a lot of jokes and, and I use humor in messages, but, but really this is a really, this is extremely serious topic because when we look at the whack-a-shark even thought, the idea is that God is a very abusive God. And abuse is a very prevalent thing in our culture today. Can I get an amen? I mean, there are a lot of people, whether it's in the workplace or in the family or even in the church, abuse is a part of our life. And, and that is us being punished. That we do some, the idea is that we do something wrong and we get punished for it. And that's what's going to straighten everything out. I could probably go around to a lot of kids in here and a lot of big kids. How well does that usually work? Does it usually work long term? Does it usually work in the overall scope of the relationship that you want to have with each other? The way I've termed this a lot of times is I can just think about... Uh, I, could, I could have, let me just use my wife Jenny, if I asked Jenny to go out and mow the yard, she could go out and mow, and the job could get done, but if she's cussing me all the way around, is that the kind of relationship that you think I'd want to have with her? That I would want this to be us serving one another. It's something that's not just done outwardly, it's something that's done inwardly, from the heart, from the inside out. And that's a lot of the place where we're going to spend time with today. There is a difference, a difference. Growing up, I felt like God was that kind of punisher, that, that he was the one that there was just a whole bunch of rules that I had to follow. And every time I messed up, what would happen? Everybody? Whack. Everybody just say whack. See, doesn't it even sound good? Everybody, it's just whenever I mess up or I would sin or I would do it, God would what? Whack, yeah. That's what I, how many of you grew up with that kind of a thought of God, that he was just the disciplinarian in here? There's a few. See, some of you were blessed in not. But there are a lot of people today who have a hard time even coming to God, coming to Jesus, because that's the thought that they have about him. But there is a huge difference. There's a tension between punishment and discipline. And let me just share a few things with that as we set the tone for today. Punishment produces, and, and I'm going to use this because God's going to share with us in Hebrews chapter 12 that we're going to get to in a little bit. That there's a, God is a disciplinarian, but discipline is not the way that we have defined it today. We've taken discipline and punishment and made them synonymous with each other. And it's not true. That's not the same. Punishment produces, and as I speak about this, I'm going to talk about only, not only God the Father to us as his children, but for you out here who have children or grandchildren and things, I'm going to talk about a relationship with children as well in this. Punishment produces some very negative characteristics in children. Guilt, shame, bitterness, resentment, regret, self-pity, fear, and more. And there's a reason for that, because punishment focuses on the past and it causes children to feel helpless. They can't undo what they've already done. 
And punishment doesn't give them a means to right their wrongs or the tools to understand what redemption looks like with their parents. That just does not happen in a punishment package. Punishment is simply retribution that leads to a lot of negative emotions. And let me just give you a simple thing. Punishment is about behavior modification. How many of you have children that when you go out somewhere and there are going to be a lot of other people, you just wish they'd behave? Anybody? I mean, that's the whole thought, is we're going to be out in a bunch of people. Now, just, just do this. Just, do, just don't mess up. Be right. Don't misbehave. It's about outwardly not doing something that's wrong or seen as wrong with other people. It's behavior modification. That's punishment. That's what it's trying to do. Discipline, on the other hand, is future-focused. It's, it's always pointing toward future acts. And the biggest difference between punishment and discipline is while punishment focuses on retribution, discipline focuses on redemption. It's about a different relationship. Discipline is defined officially as training. If I were to replace every place that we saw discipline and put training in, would it not change your thought process when you look at things? But that is what discipline means. It means training. It's about changing decisions of the future from the inside out. While punishment's about behavior modification, <laughs> discipline is about a heart transformation. And that's what we've been talking about. He, he just spoke about the heart and the meaning of the heart and the difference in the heart. Discipline is not just what's done to you, it's what's done through you. It's about a change internally. The purpose of punishment is to inflict a penalty for an offense. The purpose of discipline is to train for correction and maturity and different decision making in the future. The origin of punishment is usually a frustration of a parent. The origin of discipline is the top and high motivation for the welfare and the being of the child. The result of punishment is fear and shame. Result of discipline brings security. Discipline always holds the child's best interest, not the parent's anger, in the forefront. Discipline doesn't get out of control. I want you to think of it this way. You know, if you, if you mess up, if you had a relationship with your heavenly father or with your earthly father, that, let me just ask, and this, this said, how many of you have ever messed up in your life? Awesome. There are two ways. Religion and punishment. If you've messed up, you would say, I've really messed up. Dad's going to kill me. Jesus and the gospel says, I've really messed up. I better call Daddy. Because Daddy will help me. Daddy knows who I am and what I am and what's going on in here. Now, will there be consequences? Sure, there's consequences, and we'll talk about that. But still, the attitude toward God and bring your own God in here is to look at him as a disciplinarian, but that's a good thing because he's training us for something more, for something better in our lives. If you have your Bibles or you have a Bible app or whatever, turn to Hebrews chapter 12 because as we look within the Scriptures, we'll find that God does give us direction on some positives toward discipline. In Hebrews chapter 12, 
And let me just set this up as you're turning there or going there in your app. This letter was written to Jewish believers who were going through hard times, hardship, persecution. And, and I believe Paul wrote it, but it doesn't say that it does. It follows his style. But we'll just say the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage Jewish believers in Jesus Christ to not leave him, to not shrink back from following him. Even though things are hard right now, don't quit because there's something greater, something better that's coming. Even though you're going through difficult times now, there is a light at the end of this tunnel. And don't go back into the synagogue. The Jewish uh, leaders were saying, look, if you'll just come back into the synagogue, God will forgive you. Just go back to following the law. Just go back to the religion and the rules, and things will be fine. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 no. No. There's a purpose that can be seen out of this. There's something good that can come from this, even though it's hard to see it right in the middle of it. And so as we come to Hebrews chapter 12, he's talking about discipline, that God disciplines his son. And, and I love the first part of this because it, it, it gives us the idea of the training part that's coming later. And just go back to verse 1 and let me set this up. Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, this is coming out of Hebrews chapter 11, where it lists all these people who went through difficult times but kept their faith in God, didn't shrink back says, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. So can you already get the mindset, you're a runner, you're an athlete, you're in training. How many people like to do, if you've ever played sports, how many love conditioning? It's horrible. I mean, during football, we would go out and we'd do two-a-days and everything. We'd be out and it'd usually get to the point to where you're sick and you're exhausted, and it's like, why am I even doing this? That is a part of training. And what God wants to give you, the writer of Hebrews here, is that you're running this race called life. And all these people who have gone on before you, who had a hard time, they're cheering you on. Have you ever seen marathon runners out there? There are people along the side of the road. Maybe you've had friends who ran, or maybe you ran and you had friends there. That's the concept and the idea. I've got people cheering me on. Let us run the race with perseverance. Don't give up. But look at what it says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So what he's saying is, for you running this race, you may be going through hard times right now, but consider doesn't mean just to kind of think about. It means to really look at, focus on, look at all Jesus went through for you. Consider him who endured. And in so doing, you do the same. You endure. Guess what that's going to take? Training. You're going to have to become disciplined to this. Or you may shrink back. And that's where he goes in verse 4. It says in verse 4, this is where we get the reason for discipline, the reason for training, it's because it's to deter destruction. In your struggle against sin, you haven't resisted to the point of the shedding of blood. This is just going back to even back to chapter 10 at the end of it, where he gave us a warning. If you shrink back from God, you shrink back from Jesus, guess what your future holds? Destruction. 
One of the reasons we train, one of the reasons we're disciplined is to keep from that. God doesn't want you to be destroyed in this lifetime. And see, the the same kind of mindset is set, I, I, I use football a lot, I played football, liked football, got hurt a lot in football anyway, but but the idea is we go through this training because when we get out on the football field, if, if we're not strong, if we're not fast, if we're not wise to what's going on, guess what happens on the football field to a person who's not trained? Splat. Kind of like whack. But, the, but that's, the, that's the thing. God's saying in this life, especially in your spiritual life, I don't want you destroyed. I don't want you tore up. In the military, how many of you are military, have family in the military, have been in the military? See, can you imagine, and I I use crane, naval, can you imagine if I said, I'm going to be in the Navy, and I sign on the dotted line, which is the same thing we do when we're baptized to Jesus. We're signing on the dotted line. We agree to live under a different covenant than we did before. But can you imagine me going into the Navy and I go to basic training and the drill sergeant is there and he says, here's what's going to happen in the morning. We're going to get up at 5 a.m. and we're going to have a a five-mile run. And yeah, it's going to be raining, but that's what we're going to do. Can you imagine me going to the drill sergeant and saying, "Uh, excuse me, sir, I'm not really a morning person. Can can we make it like 8.30-ish? And, and really, five miles, that's a lot. Can we just do like a one-mile jog? What's happening in basic training? I am learning discipline to be out in the field with you so that when we're threatened, I might not be destroyed. Does that make sense? And the other thing is, you might not be destroyed because I've been trained to be there for you, with you. And that's what God is saying in verse 4. You haven't shed blood because of your hardship, like Jesus did. But, but the reason that we're doing this is so you are not destroyed. So the reason is to deter destruction. Then he goes through in, in verse 5 and gives us the means for discipline, which is through action and words. Verse 5 says, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father, as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. This comes from Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11, and there are two words used in here. The word discipline, which is the Jewish word, yashar, and rebuke, which is yachach. I love that. It almost sounds like you're... I'm not going to say that. Anyway... But yeah, <laughs> but the idea is discipline involves God's actions, and yachak, rebuke, involves God's words. And isn't that the way that we normally provide discipline and correction? It's usually done by either actions or actions and words. That's what he's saying here. Don't despise it. Don't look down on it. As parents, that's how we handle discipline with our kids. Sometimes with words, sometimes with words and consequences and actions that come to it. But remember, the reason that we do it is to train them to stay on track, not for just what they've done, but for where they're going. Because we don't want the same things to happen. It's all out of love, which is the third thing. 
the writer gives us the motive that God disciplines and that as parents we discipline. The basis is simply our love. Our love for our children, his love for us. In verse 6 it says, Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens or he restrains everyone he accepts as son. So he says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, everyone, nobody's exempt from God then you're not legitimate true sons or daughters at all. It's real simple. If you're unwilling to train or discipline your child, are you loving them? I mean, really, are you loving them? And if God refuses to discipline or train you, does he love you? We sang songs. Did, Did you realize most of the songs, almost everything had to do with the love of God for us? Why? Because it's true. And I said this once, I'll say it again. If you ever wonder what God thinks about you, how much God loves you, it is said something's worth is that which someone else is willing to pay. Not what you think it's worth, but what someone else is willing to pay for it. God loves you so much. The price, what he was willing to pay, was his son. If you ever wonder in your life what God thinks about you, I just say, look at the cross. Just look at the cross. That's the Father's love for you and me. So love is the motive of discipline. The fourth thing, the goal of of submission. Moreover, in verse 9, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live. When you live in godly submission, when you teach godly submission, you're teaching and learning and doing the right thing for the right reason. Not just because it's a rule, it's because it's right. Have you ever had something like that in your life that's happened? You've just done something because it's the right thing to do. That's what we're doing here. You want your children to get beyond the point of saying, well, I do this because I got to. No, it's I do this because I want to, because it pleases my Father, and it's the right thing to do. Our children might primarily be external in the beginning, but eventually it'll become internal. And what happens is this becomes self-discipline, not not a promoted discipline, not an imposed discipline. I'll wrap it up with this. The last thing that he gives us is the reason, I'm sorry, is the result of discipline. It's a short-term pain for a long-term gain. Verse 10, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Can I get an amen to that? But painful. Later on, however, it produces, look at what the long-term game is, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Discipline, very simply, is giving up what you want now for what you want most. 
It says, all discipline is painful. Not some, even most, but all. It seems unpleasant, but there's a process involved. And those who have been trained by it yield the fruit of righteousness. We can, we can suffer the pain of discipline now. Or, honestly, I think we can suffer the pain of regret later. Because that's usually what comes in an undisciplined life. Is there's usually regrets. And so for you, do you choose the pain of discipline now or do you choose the pain of regret later? Because ultimately, when it comes to your spiritual life, it's not about rules and regulation. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All of this changed when Jesus came. He fulfilled all that, but it still comes down to Him now. And you can either suffer for Him or you can suffer without him later and feel regret. You see, the way the Apostle Paul put it was like this. In the New Living Translation, it says this. Go ahead and put that up. Don't you realize in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to what? Win. Don't run to just finish. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it not for something that's going to fade. We do it for something that will last forever. We do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. If you're here today, I... You may feel like you're running this race and you're tired and you're exhausted and God is just up there and His only thing right now is I'm just waiting on you to mess up so I can whack you. You may know somebody who's like that. That is not the heart of God. Please. That is not the heart of God. And, and if you're here and, and you just feel... Like, I just can't keep all the rules. I can't keep everything straight. Why even try? I'm always going to mess up. And that's the way things. Let me give you some good news today. In Romans chapter 30, or chapter 3, verse 20, and I can go all the way back to verse 9. It says, We have already made the charge. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. Welcome to Sherwood Oaks, Bedford, where we just want to encourage you. But here's the good news. We're all in the same boat. There isn't a person in here who can keep enough rules, enough good deeds, enough to have a right standing with God and be right with Him simply through your good works. In fact, he says this down in verse 20. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You see, being right with God doesn't come by obeying the law. No one's declared righteous. It doesn't matter what kind of church you go to, how holy you act, how good of a show you put on, how hard you try. You cannot be good enough to please God by the works of the law. So the idea is, why the law anyway? It tells us right there. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. 
it shows us the need for a Savior. And, and I just, just mm, look at what it says in 21. But now a righteousness, a righteousness from God apart from the law, separate from the law, has been made known through which the law and the prophets testify. Take all of that. Take all the rules. Take all the regulations. Take everything. And he says, it's all here hanging on this. There is a new right standing with God that's before you. How? He says, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. And after that, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have. See, it's not about trying harder. It's about trusting in the perfect work of Jesus. And, and, and I guess simply what the law and religion made complicated with laws and rules, Jesus simplified with love. Jesus came through to all of us and said, I know each one of your hearts. I know where you're at. And this is about me. And even when Jesus was approached to say, look, teacher, tell us what's the greatest commandment. In other words, tell us what we have to do to be right with God. Jesus said, simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hinge on these two. He's want, you want to be right with God? You want to be right with your father? A father who is a disciplinarian? A father who does that out of love for the purpose of you not being destroyed, but you, the long-term goal, being able to be with me forever. That's the father's heart. He says, here's what it is. Love me and love everybody else. Don't sit around saying, hey, I got it going on with God. I got everything going on with Him, but not have it going on with each other. He said the second one is like it. These two are linked together. You want to show your love for me? Love your neighbor. You, 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 by loving your neighbor, you show your love for me. But hate your neighbor? You're not loving me. Period. And that's what I love about what God's done because I'm a very simple person I have a hard time remembering a whole lot of stuff but I can remember love him and love you that I can go with and because of that now there's a right standing with God apart from the law and all the rules and all the stuff now I discipline my life I train to run this race by loving even when it's hard Especially when it's hard. So if you're here today and you've looked at God as a disciplinarian, it's true, He is. But He's training you to be with Him forever and ever. He has what's best for you in mind while you're on this earth. So the question is, will you come to the one who gave His life for you? How great the Father's love is for all of us. And if you would like to experience and receive and begin that relationship with love, we're going to stand and we're going to sing how deep the Father's love is for us. Would you just accept 
and receive that during this time of invitation. Would you stand and would you join me in prayer? And if you have a decision to make, we'd invite you to come during this time. Heavenly Father, you are a great, mighty, powerful, awesome, gracious, merciful, and loving God. We thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that you you have taken what was so complicated in following all these rules and religion and, and, and just trying to outwardly change our behavior in front of each other and, and do a heart transformation by your Holy Spirit living within us to change us into the likeness of your son Jesus so that we may love as he loved and so that we may have that closeness to you that he's had. So Father, for anyone who's here who has looked at you as just simply whacking, just can't wait to whack, I pray that their heart has been moved today to possibly take a look at you differently. And Lord, if they'd be willing right now to submit and surrender their heart to you, we're ready to give you all the praise and glory that they may see how great the love you have for them truly is. We come before your throne in love and thanks. In the precious and holy name of your son Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said. Amen.